This is our third session on Colossians 3, 15 to 17. We're going to focus on verse 16, which is really thick with beautiful, glorious, rich, <laughs> joyful pieces that could keep us for hours, but we'll try to do it in one session. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. So sandwiched between let the peace of Christ rule and let the word of God dwell is be thankful, because inside this word there is so much of Christ, and inside this peace there is so much of Christ, and it is so good. It cannot but cause the believing heart to be overflowing with thankfulness, which leads to then psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing by grace in our hearts to God. So thankfulness is at the beginning, thankfulness is at the end. Some people translate this by grace with thanksgiving. I'm going to treat it as by grace. Thankfulness pervades all of this unit. But let's look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing by grace in your hearts to God. Father, lots of us who are looking at this session are not inclined to um, sing from our hearts to one another, to God, all kinds of songs. So I pray that something would happen in our hearts that would make us this kind of people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's start by looking at the word dwell in you. I think if we try to distinguish between in you all, meaning among you, so that the word goes back and forth among you, or in you, in your hearts, we would push Paul to a dichotomy that he doesn't like and wouldn't accept. I think if you said, Paul, which do you mean here? When you say in you, do you mean like in your hearts, in your hearts? Or do you mean among the body, among one another? He'd say, look, you just underlined it. <laughs> so look, I'm not going to make that distinction. If there's no in your heart, there's no faith. If there's no in the body, there's no love. I'm talking about the reality that the word should have in your heart and in your community. I'm not going to make the distinction between those two such that they have to be pulled apart. Now, what is the word of Christ? And I'm going to let myself pursue the answer to that question in light of this word richly here. Where does he talk about the word and get at it richly? 
So I'm jumping over to chapter 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ. So the Word contains, in this case, the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So then, what is the mystery of Christ that the Word is about? So this would be the Word of the mystery of Christ, or could be the Word of Christ. And I jump back to 127. To them, the saints, that is, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery in 4.3, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the message, the word of Christ, the word of his mystery, is the rich word of Christ's reality in us, giving us the hope of glory. Or a couple of verses later in chapter 2, I struggle that their hearts reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Christ is the mystery. The Word is the Word of the mystery of Christ, the Word of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures, like riches, of the wisdom and knowledge. So in three verses, 4, 3, 127, 2, uh, 3, we have the Word as the Word of the mystery of Christ, and then that's unpacked as a word of riches of glory because of Christ in us, and a word of riches of assurance and treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when, when he says here, let the word of Christ, I think he means the word that is all about the wealth of the truth of the glory of Christ in us, the hope of glory, everything that that Christ achieved for us and became for us and in us is here. And so he says, let it dwell among you richly. And, and the word richly there, I think, has at least two senses. Namely, let lots of the word dwell among you. And I say that because of this use of the word richly here in First Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, that's not the word rich I'm referring to, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly, there's the adverb, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What does that mean? He richly provides us with everything. That means he provides lots of it, right? Lots of it. And that's the first meaning here. Let the word dwell among you richly means don't just begin your meeting with a little teeny reference to the word and then for the rest of your three-hour meeting never mention the word again. Don't, don't have a worship service where the word gets a little reference and then never referred to again. Don't let your family life be, oh, we prayed and maybe we read a verse at the breakfast table. We never mentioned the word of of Christ again. No, let there be lots of the word, lots of it, all day long. And the second meaning is realize that the word contains treasures, right? We saw that. 
the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, and the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge are what Christ has. In other words, we should realize that when the Word dwells among us and in us richly, there's not only lots of it, but it is bringing to us the greatest riches in the world. Far better. I mean, the Psalms are replete with statements. Your word are more precious to me than silver or gold. Now, how does it dwell richly among us? He mentions teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And, and this is not just pulpit work, right? This is one another work. This is small group work. This is conversation work, which means I think something like this. You get up in the morning and you read your Bible. You read it seeking food for your soul that can then become food for others so that as you walk through the day and have conversations with people, you do two things. You uh, make truth clear. That's what teaching does. You say things in a way that are clear, that bring more light on reality because of what you say, and then you urge them. Urge as precious. Admonishing is urging and, and, and motivating and exhorting someone. It might be corrective, it might not be. So there's this content dimension of clarity, and there's this urgent dimension of encouraging others to press on with the enjoyment of the truth and the obedience to the truth. And you do it in all wisdom. Wisdom, remember, in Christ are hidden, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as we know Christ, grow in Christ, are united to Christ, enjoy the peace of Christ, and are saturated with the, the word of Christ, we share in his wisdom. And the difference between wisdom and knowledge is that wisdom has also to do with uh, the timing of truth and the, the tone of truth and the content of truth. This is, this is when, when do you speak? When do you teach? And when do you admonish? And this is how, and this is what. Wisdom has to do with all of that. You don't just blunder into a situation and start babbling away about how much you've learned this morning. You're, you're sensitive and you're discerning about the needs of the moment. Wisdom is so needed in how we teach and admonish one another. And I think all means all you can get. All you can get. Avail yourself of as much as you know and try to get more. And then amazingly, we are to teach and admonish with songs, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And I don't think anybody knows the precise difference between these three. These may be the psalms that are in the Bible. These may be formal 
hymns that have been prepared and circulated among the church. These may be spontaneous songs that people are given by the Holy Spirit to enjoy in the moment. Whatever, oh my goodness, a singing people. And we're singing rich with the word. It's got teaching in it. It's got admonition in it because we are doing this teaching and admonishing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing. We're not just quoting them. Like, let's quote some hymns to each other. That's good. That's fine. But let's sing them. And we're doing it amazingly to one another. So teach one another with songs. So it's a one another directed, and yet we're doing it to God. We've seen this before. Don't, we don't ever choose between a Godward focus and a manward focus. If, if we're focused on God in corporate worship, people hear us and it's manward. If we're focused on exhorting one another in worship, God is watching and it's to his glory. And it is in your heart. So it's going to God from the heart, it's going to one another from the heart. And finally, it is by grace. None of this is mere human production. The word is from Christ. It's, it's a gift to us. We didn't make it up. We don't determine the content. It's rich for us by grace. We teach by grace. We admonish by grace. There's any relationship with one another by grace. If we have any wisdom, it's by grace. If we know a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song, if we have any ability or no ability and yet a desire, it's by grace that we have this truth welling up in our heart and overflowing to one another and to God. So I step back and I say, what are you doing, Paul? What got you off on such a glorious <laughs> orbit? And I think he would say, um, I have been teaching you about clothing yourself with love in the community. I have been teaching you about peace, arbitrating all your relationships. And now I'm showing you that one way that love abounds in the community and one way that peace abounds in the community is a very Godward, loving, spiritual, truth-laden, singing, gracious people. <laughs> and you've tasted this. I've tasted this. When there's a singing people, peace is more readily preserved. When there's a singing people, love is more readily reserved. I used to lead our pastoral staff away on retreats. We always sang together. When we had our staff meetings, we sang together. When I teach preaching over at the church uh, in the seminary, I sing with the class. Singing has a powerful effect in achieving what this third chapter is all about. 